You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, church, it's been an exciting year for my family. Let me just share the past 12 months. First of all, today is my daughter Taylor and her husband Nick's first anniversary. Today. So I don't know if she's listening online. Yes, amen. But happy anniversary to my daughter Taylor and her husband Nick, my son-in-law. We're so grateful for him. And another thing that happened is Garrett and Whitney were married. Garrett, my son Garrett and Whitney are in our services today. They were married last September. And my brand new granddaughter Sophie is back there, two weeks old. Amen. Hey, you, you can't get me down today. Not going to happen. I'm excited, and I'm excited, too, to have Pax and Emmy, my other two grandkids, his kids as well. And so just thankful for that. So Taylor and Nick's anniversary, they got married a year ago. Garrett and Whitney got married last September. Landon and Christopher, and Landon and Christopher, Landon and Crystal got married in March, and then we had a new granddaughter. All this has happened in, in the last year. So basically what I'm saying is, is I'm broke. Amen? I have... I have no money. Donations would be appreciated. No, it's been a great year. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we'll dig into the Word. I asked Sonia this morning, Sonia Chittam, I said, so I know Brother Scott preached last week, and we only had one service at 10 o'clock. I said, what time did y'all finish up? She said, 10.30. Amen. So, So we're already a little over. Be patient. We've gone about five minutes over. So, anyway. Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 41 through 44, and I will be very respectful of our time. But I do want to share some things with you as we think about today launching into Anniversary Sunday next week. In this passage, we find Jesus teaching and preaching and in this little short passage I'm going to read in 40, 12 verses 41 through 44, we find the account of the widow who cast in the two mites. And what I want you to know is, even though, even though we're going to look at that, the message I have for you today really is a topical message. It's not a verse-by-verse message. I want to take what happened in that and challenge you today. Let's look at verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which cast have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, all, even all her living. So in this account, we find this widow. You know, we've spent the whole month talking about women and some of the accounts in the Bible. I go back to Preacher's message on how the older women should teach the younger women. That, that was a blessing to me. And today I thought it'd be good to to talk about this widow, but we're really not going to, again, this is a topical message, so I'm not, there's a whole message here, by the way, of her sacrifice, there's a whole message here about her faith, but I want to look at 
what Jesus noticed. What I really want to focus on today is not just the widow who the Bible says cast in all, but I want to look at, I want to point out what Jesus noticed as he was teaching in this chapter. What was it that Jesus noticed? We find in this chapter Jesus covered a lot of topics. If you go back to the very first of the chapter and go through the chapter, he talked about his resurrection in this chapter. I wrote that down. He talked about the greatest commandment in verse 28, to love God and then to love others. He talked about his sonship in verse 35, and then he finally addressed this widow. Now, let me describe the scene for you before we dig into the meat of the message. The scene was, Jesus, the Bible says, was sat over against the treasure. You see, at the temple there would be, history teaches us, there would be these trumpet-like receptacles. History says there were 13 of them. Nine of them were for legal dues, and four of them were for free will offerings. And the people would walk by the treasury, and they would literally just cast in their offering. They would just cast in their money. While this was going on, the Bible said that Jesus was standing there watching. He was just standing there watching. My foundational thoughts this morning, and y'all be patient with me as I try to stay up with this outline, Number one, Jesus beheld. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Proverbs, I believe our first verse is in Proverbs. Do we have that up there, Brad? Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The first thing I point out today is that Jesus was watching. The Bible says he beheld. He was watching the people. The first thing I want to point out today as we get into the message is that Jesus was watching. He was beholding. The second thing in your foundational notes is God sees things differently than we do. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, very familiar verse. The part I want to focus on is, For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the what? The heart. So we know two things as we lay a foundation. Jesus was standing at the treasury watching people give. And we know this, that God sees things differently than we do. It's also important to note that when God looks, the Bible says he looks at the heart. I want you to know today that when God looks at things differently, it's very easy to discern. When I stand up here, I see what you're wearing I see who you came in with. I see if you're smiling or not. Maybe something about your countenance. But the Bible says that when God looks at this crowd today, He sees your heart. He sees what's going on inside of you. Amen? He knows if you're here today and you're excited about the service, if you're undistracted and focused on learning something from God's Word, or He knows today if you're broken on the inside. By the way, we're good at faking it. Amen, church? We're good at showing up. I know I am. I can't tell you how many times I've showed up at a service. Hey, I can't tell you how many times I've stood behind a pulpit and tried to preach with Holy Spirit power, yet on the inside I was broken. But God sees our heart. 
And so when Jesus was standing there watching these people, he wasn't watching what they were wearing. He wasn't watching who they were with or how much they even gave at first. I think he was looking at their hearts. So what did he notice? What did he notice? Well, the very first thing he noticed, let's look at it. And Jesus, in verse 41, sat over against the treasury, and he beheld what? How they gave. The first thing he noticed in your notes is he beheld how they gave. He noticed how the people gave. Their attitude. Isn't it interesting that the very first thing that Jesus noticed was the attitude with which they gave their offering? Not how much. Not who they were with. Not if they were dressed nice. The Bible says the first thing he noticed was their attitude with which they gave their offering. It wasn't the amount. It wasn't the outward appearance. Hey, it was their attitude, church. So let me ask you a question, church. Hey, if God's looking at us today, and we already know from the message, He's looking at our hearts. What does He see? He sees your attitude, don't He? And you know what? The attitude's really not in the Bible a lot. God usually refers in Scripture to our attitude as our spirit. But for the sake of practicality, can we just use attitude today? I think everybody, even our young people, even our young people, amen, know what an attitude is. Bless God, amen. We'll just use the word attitude. So how would you describe your attitude today? If God could somehow, looking at your heart, peer into your heart, what would He say your attitude's like today? The fact is, our attitude, church, can swing from one extreme to the other at times. Amen? Hey, let me just preface the message by saying, none of us have a perfect attitude all the time. Amen? Can we be honest? Sure we can. And it can swing. There's a big difference. Hey, there's a difference though, but listen to me. We're, we're fixing to get into the meat. Let me, let me plant some seeds here. There's a difference between being in a bad mood and having a bad attitude. There's a difference. We all get in a bad mood from time to time. Amen. There are things that put us in a bad mood. But the key is not allowing those things to linger in our life. Because if we allow things that put us in a bad mood to linger, we'll develop a bad attitude, a bad spirit. Jesus noticed how they gave. What is it today that puts you in a bad mood? Y'all are already thinking about it, amen? For me, number one, and I'm going with recent experiences, bad service at a restaurant. Y'all ever get that? And I used to, I don't know, I, you know, they say you're supposed to get more patient as you get older. I think I'm getting less patient. So Sonia and I went to a restaurant the other day. I'm not going to point it out back. I'm not going to do that. Just teasing. I hope the owner of that restaurant's not here. No, we went to a restaurant the other night, and the service, it was just bad. It was just bad. I mean, she took her drink order, and then like, 30 minutes later, she asked how we were doing. I said, hungry. <clears throat> Literally. I mean, we lost weight on this date, amen? <laughs> she finally came back, literally, and was apologizing. I'll give her credit. Sonia knows she just kept apologizing. 
And she finally brought my food and didn't bring my wife's. I finished my food. Now you're like, we should have waited on your wife. I'm telling you, I couldn't wait. Because she never got her food. Finally, at the, literally an hour plus in, they came out. They gave us a free meal. I, I, you know. But it put me in a bad mood. You know what else puts me in a bad mood? Y'all going to love this one. Cracked windshields put me in a bad mood. This week, I had to get a new windshield. I'm at the dealership. I did it to, I ordered this thing in advance. I'm at the dealership. You have to get these windshields today. The one the car I drive has a camera on the windshield, so the windshield has to be calibrated with the camera. I don't even know what that means, but I hate it. So I get there. I'm there from 7 o'clock in the morning. I call the guy. He said, hey, if you'll get here early, we'll get you done. We'll get you out of here. I get there at 7 o'clock in the morning. I leave at 6 o'clock with no car. At night, I was in a bad mood. For many people in here, hey, I know this one. This one's really not a pet peeve of mine because I think I'm the subject. Bad drivers put you in a bad mood. I think I'm the guy you don't like. Amen. It puts my wife in a bad We did this in small group. Half my small group mentioned bad drivers put them in a bad mood. Jesus noticed how they gave. He noticed their attitude. Had a little fun with that church, but listen, hey, if we stay in a bad mood, it'll develop a bad attitude in our life. I believe Scripture gives us some things, again, as we look into this message today about how we can maintain a good attitude about life. Hey, maybe I'm doing some preventative preaching today. Maybe you would honest, be honest to say, hey, I feel like I've got a great attitude. I feel like a, I'm doing well in that area, preacher. Hey, I hope so, but maybe you're here today and your spirit's down, your attitude's not where it should be. And I just think as we launch into our 30th anniversary service, if there's one thing we should do between now and next Sunday, is pray that God will all give us all a good spirit, a good attitude as we head to anniversary service. Amen, church? So what can we do about that? I want to give you three things that can help your attitude. Three things today, and this is really the meat of the message. The last two points, I'm just going to literally close with that. There's not even a lot of, a lot of notes around those things. I want to focus right here. Jesus noticed how the people gave that day, how this widow gave. The very first thing I'd like to point out, if you want to have a great attitude in life, and by the way, you may think your attitude's good, but I have discovered spiritually that there's so much more for me. That I had so much room to grow in my spirit and my attitude, even though I thought I had a good one. Number one, maintain a high level of joy. Maintain a high level of joy. Have you lost your joy today? You know, it would be easy this past week to lose your joy, wouldn't it? All you got to do is turn on the TV. You see another school shooting. You see political chaos. You see the bickering, the complaining, the negativity in our world today. Maybe you see that at work. Maybe you work around people that are like that. It would be so easy today, even for believers to lose their joy. Have you lost yours? First thing I want to point out in your notes again is joy is supernatural in its source. 
Joy is supernatural in its source. Happiness is temporary. Listen, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is temporary. It's connected to our circumstances. But joy is eternal and it's connected to a personal relationship with Christ. I'm telling you, hey, if you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, hey, your circumstances will not determine your joy. Joy is reserved for the redeemed and is based on a growing relationship with Christ and not connected to my circumstances. When I'm having a good day, look at Philippians 4, 4. Let's look at that together. Amen? This verse said, Rejoice in the Lord when the AC is working. Amen? No. Rejoice in the Lord when everything's good in my life. No. No, this verse says, Rejoice in the Lord. How? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. We see two or three things here. Number one, Paul's given the church at Philippi a command. This is a commandment. As believers today, church, we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what we're going through, amen? We're commanded to rejoice in Christ. We're commanded to remember, hey, it don't matter what we're going through. We have a personal relationship with God Himself. The second thing I see in that verse is the focus of our joy is what? It's God. Rejoice in the Lord. It's God. A lot of times we lose our joy. We get our eyes off God, don't we, and on our problem. We get our eyes off God and on the news. We get our eyes off God and on hidden sin. And we lose our joy. Rejoice in the Lord. We should always rejoice. Always. That's the other thing in that verse. Always. It don't matter what we're going through. Listen, church. Hey, as you think about your joy level, hey, I'm asking you today to consider, examine your life today. Is the joy of the Lord in your heart today? Hey, can you honestly answer that question with a yes? Because joy is not an absence of problems in our life. It's the presence of God in my life. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What I like about this verse is we're reminded in this verse to live life how? One day at a time. I'm going to tell you one of the keys as we talk about joy this morning, one of the keys to joy is one day at a time. One day at a time, church. Hey, if you'll learn to... And for me, this one was hard. I spent a big part of my life as a warrior. I'm going to mention that later in more detail, but I spent a big part of my life worrying about problems, worrying about my future, worrying about finances. Hey, and, and God convicted me of that. Because what happened was, I sacrificed today about worries of tomorrow. One of the keys to joy is one day at a time. Take life one day at a time, church. Hey, it will help your joy level go up. Taking life one day at a time will help you enjoy today, amen? We don't have tomorrow. Scripture says there's no guarantee of tomorrow. 
We can't do anything about yesterday. We need to rejoice in the Lord today because this is the day He hath made. One day at a time. The next thing in your notes I want to give you Joy is not conditioned with our circumstances, but a product of a life devoted to God. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Very interesting. Now listen, I'm all about, yes, I, I think we need to get up each day and ask God to give us joy in our life. But I want to remind you today, joy is not something you can just manifest on your own. It's not happiness. There's a difference. Happiness, you can choose your favorite restaurant and be happy. But the Bible says in Galatians 5, 22, and we don't even have to put that one up there. You all know it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the next one? Joy. I'm reminded today that joy in Christ, hey, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's produced. It's a fruit it's something that's a result of a life devoted to God. Do you have joy today? The word joy in the Hebrew is a word called halil. And the word literally means a condition that's not, or a situation that's not conditioned with our circumstances, but a product of a life devoted to God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It cannot be manifested within ourselves, but is produced as a result of how we live our life. And I say that because of this. Even as a believer, you can lose your joy. We've all been there, amen? Saved, know the Lord. He's my Savior. I've got an eternal home in heaven with Him. He's blessed me. Then why do we lose our joy? Well, we've got to look at these things. What about our behavior? Joy is a product of a life devoted to God. The first thing I tell people that come to me and say, pray with me, I've lost my joy. Sometimes I'll talk to them. How's your life? Are you living for God? Are you giving? Are you loving people in this very chapter? Are you loving God? Are you loving people? You can lose your joy, church, for a lot of reasons. And I don't even have the list in front of me. But if you're here today and you've lost your joy, you have to examine your life. Hey, you have to examine, why have I lost my joy? Because the fact is, the problems and the trials of life, the situations even we've seen this week, are inevitable because we live in an evil world. But we don't have to lose our joy in Jesus. My goal here today is no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through in the past, no matter what you're going through today, I want to encourage you, church family, you can maintain a high level of joy on the worst day of your life. Let's look at the book of James, chapter 1. Do we have that up there, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4? Let's read that, church. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In our trials, listen, this is your next point. In our trials, we must look to learn and not complain. I want to spend a few minutes here and literally just a couple other things to wrap the message up today as we look at our attitude. As we learn to focus on Christ and not our trials, if you've lost your joy, you have to examine your life. Hey, are you living for God? Joy is connected to living for God. Hey, we can't live any way we want to and have the joy of Jesus in our life. Hey, in this culture today of casual Christianity, hey, I just want to point out today, God still expects commitment. God still expects devotion. He gave His Son for you. His Son bled and died for me. He paid the ultimate price. Hey, and we can't just live any way we want to and have the joy of Jesus in our life. Maybe it's our behavior. Maybe the reason we're saved and still empty. Maybe the reason we're born again and still hurting and still broken is because we're not living for God. By the way, church, you can go to church every Sunday and not live for God. Amen. Hey, I think the problem today in our country, can I just be honest with our church today? The problem with our country today is not the world. The world don't know better. The world don't know, hey, they don't know what it is to have eternal life. They don't know what it is to have joy in their storm. Hey, the problem, hey, is God's people today with no joy. There's got to be a difference. And so, I believe the, the biggest issue is when we have these trials. We have these trials in our life. How are we going to respond? Let me camp here just a minute. As we learn to focus on Christ and not our trials, not only do we have to look at our behavior, but I'm telling you, church, if you're here today and you were one of the ones that would say, man, I'm having a tough time right now. Hey, I'm having a crisis in my life and I hadn't even shared it with anybody. Hey, my joy's waning today. It's on, it's on edge and I, I'm about to lose my joy. Could I encourage you today to stay focused on God and not your problem? I'm telling you, I'm speaking from experience. The times in my life when I've lost my joy are the times in my life when I was looking at my problems. I got my eyes off God. I was looking at my heartache. I was looking at my burden. Hey, I was looking at myself. And God teaches us in James Church, hey, the next time you're in a crisis, and by the way, you're going to be in one, the next time you're in one, my encouragement to you as a church family, as we think about the next 30 years, hey, as we're in these trials of life, as we're in these crises of life, hey, let's remember to focus on God and not our problems. Because if we do, he tells us in James, we'll grow. We'll grow. He said, I'll perfect you. I'll give you a new level of maturity. He said, we'll be perfect. And not wanting. And what that word perfect means in Scripture is mature. It's mature. Oh, God help us to think about when we're in our trials. God help us to learn and not complain. Amen? I go back in my own life and I think about the trials I've been through. And I don't... My son Garrett's here. Y'all have prayed for him. 
He is doing wonderful. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm telling you, church, listen to me. Hey, I'm thankful for that, but I even want him to know today. Listen, that I spent way too much time when he was struggling, complaining, angry, doubting God. Hey, focusing on me instead of focusing on him and focusing on my relationship with God. I got news for you, church. God did not just heal my son. God healed me. God healed me of, of exposed, unexposed pride in my life. God healed me from a lack of compassion for people that struggle in addiction. God healed me. I had to get my eyes off myself. I think about people that are probably struggling with joy today. I think about my old boss, Terry Hammonds. You don't know him. He was my boss for several years, and three years ago he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. If you don't know anything about that disease, it's debilitating. Three years ago, he was as big a man as I am. I visited him and his wife last Wednesday. He probably weighs 130 pounds. This disease is crippling physically. It robs you of all your muscle tissue. It eventually robs you of the ability to speak, to eat, and you're pretty much an invalid. And you can live that way for several years. I had a chance to pray with him and his wife, Diane. And I asked Terry, I said, Terry, he, he's at the point now he can't even speak. He's on a trach, body withered down to nothing. But he could... It don't affect you mentally. This disease does not affect you mentally. And I asked him, I said, Terry, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer me. Do you have peace in your heart? And he shook his head, yes. I said, are you comfortable? And he shook his head, yes. I think about the Adam Perlin family. Again, you don't know him. Patsy Sermon is a district rep that works for me in Shreveport. Adam is her son-in-law. Her daughter, Heather, is her husband. On April the 19th, Adam works for the gas company in Shreveport. I thought about it as I thought about Brother Mark. He was involved in a severe explosion with 98% of his body receiving third-degree burns. They've already had to remove some of his limbs. He's not even out of the woods, and this is six weeks ago. He is still alive. He's had 16 surgeries. He's got a wife and three kids. It would be easy for them to lose their joy, amen? I think about the families at Rob Elementary. It'd be easy for them to lose their joy, amen? Again, I think about myself and how many mistakes I made in my trials of losing my joy because I was too focused on myself. And church, the message today is this, as we, as we look about trials, as we look about some of these families, hey, I want Terry and Diane to know, listen, that there is still joy in Jesus, even in ALS. Hey, I want the Perlin family to know, even in the severe tragedy of what's going on with their dad, hey, that there's still joy in Jesus. Because listen to me, 
Joy is not about happiness. It's about hope in Christ. Joy is not about happiness, church. It's about hope in Christ. So no matter what we're going through, we can have joy. How's your joy level today? Lastly, under this topic, and then we'll finish up. Number two, maintain a willing spirit. We've got two more here. Really, that's the message. The last two are just to close. Maintain a willing spirit. You don't even have to put the scripture up there, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 and 2, just to expedite things a little bit today, Peter told the church, he told the elders, he said, hey, elders, I'm also an elder, and I want to exhort you. I want to exhort you to feed the flock of God. That's what the verse says. He says, I want to exhort you to feed the flock of God, not by constraint, but willingly. Not only should we maintain a high level of joy, church, we need to maintain a willing spirit. Amen? A willing spirit. In that passage, I see a lot. I see Peter exhorting the other elders. I think about our elder team, our pastor team. You know what we need to be doing, guys? We need to be exhorting each other. That'll help your attitude. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be caring for each other. He exhorted them. He cared about them. And then he told them this. He said, you should nurture. You should lead. You should protect this congregation that God's given you. And not be their lords. But love them and nurture and protect them. And he said, do this. Don't do it for filthy lucre. Do it willingly. You see, God's not just interested in what we do. He's interested in how we do it. Amen? Do it willingly. There are several different ways you can do things. Number one, at times we serve, these are in your notes, at times we serve out of duty. Amen? At times, let's just be honest, we've all been there. Sometimes we do things out of duty, don't we? We do it because we're supposed to. And that's okay. If you're here today and you want to give a million dollars to the church and you want to do it out of duty, go for it. Amen? Number two, at times we serve out of guilt. I've done that before too. At times we do things because we feel guilty if we don't do them. Here's the problem with doing things out of duty and doing things out of guilt. It won't last. You lose your stamina. It won't last. The goal, number three, is to serve out of love. Out of love. Why? Because it will last. If love is your motivation and you've got joy in your heart and you do it willingly and you do it because you love it, it'll last. It'll last, church. As I think about our anniversary and I think about our service to God, to all our elders, to all our pastors, to all our teachers, hey, let's make sure that we're doing what we're doing willingly, amen? Not looking for anything in return. Not looking for filthy lucre. Not looking for profit or gain for myself. But help me to serve. Help me to love my small group. Help me to pray with my small group. Help me to preach when God gives me the opportunity. And to do it with a willing spirit. Because that will last. Lastly, in your notes here under joy, is maintain a high level of humility. 
Again, we don't have to turn there or you don't have to put the verse on the screen. But God says in James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of God and I will lift you up. Now the interesting thing about that verse is God says to humble yourselves. God expects us to humble ourselves, amen? And He will lift us up. So how do you have great joy in your life, Brother Butch? How do you have this, this joy in your life? Well, I think two of the things that are connected to it are a willing spirit and a humble spirit. And I can't think of anything greater for our church going into our 30th anniversary is for more than us coming in willingly, serving willingly, loving each other willingly, and for us to maintain humility in our life. I'm going to tell you, pride can, can ruin a congregation. It can ruin a preacher. Let's just stay humble, amen? Now, I'm doing some preventative preaching. One of the great things about our lead pastor is he's taught us this, to stay humble, amen? He's transparent enough that he teaches, hey, we've got to stay humble. No matter what God does, no matter how much he blesses, hey, no matter how tough things get, let's have faith, but let's stay humble. In your notes under humility, I'll give you these real quickly. Humility is required to be right with God. And even comes before prayer and repentance. Humility is a proper understanding of God's grace. If my people which are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. Then pray. Then seek my face and turn. Hey, humility, God says, even comes before prayer and repentance. Man, we got to come to Him humbly, amen? He won't accept it if we don't. God, give us humility in our life. I think it will help our joy level. Pride will rob you of your joy, amen? Serving out of duty will rob you of your joy. But serving God willingly and in humility, I'm telling you, it will raise your joy level. Hey, going through your trials and problems of life and willing to learn instead of complain, willing to learn instead of doubt, will grow your joy. Jesus noticed how this lady gave, and he noticed her attitude first. The last two things, and we'll be done. Jesus noticed, number two, who gave. Just a footnote on that. He noticed who gave. Getting back to the textual part of the message, the Bible says there was a certain widow woman. He notices the individual. Your notes on that are God always, listen, God is always focused on the individual. When it comes to salvation, it's what? It's one at a time. When it comes to us standing before God one day and giving a record of our life, it's going to be one at a time. We're going to be held accountable, church, one at a time. He is no respecter of persons. He does keep an accurate record of our deeds. One at a time. He noticed who gave. And then lastly, Jesus noticed how much they gave. He noticed how much. This was the last thing he noticed, though. That's the last thing he mentioned, was she gave the two mites. Now listen, two mites, I looked it up. According to my Matthew Henry concordance, two mites is worth about one-eighth of one cent. He said it was worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was a day's wages. 
back then. Sound like two mites wasn't even worth nothing back then, amen? But she gave it all, didn't she? Jesus noticed how much she gave, but he didn't say that. He said she cast in all. She cast in all. Your final note in your outline, a couple of notes. In this passage, we find that giving is about what you keep and not just what you give. The offering of the widow was a real sacrifice and cost her more than those who gave out of their abundance. It was a real sacrifice. The Bible says she cast in all. And he said she's the best giver here today. But the first thing he noticed was her attitude. The fact that amazes me when I read that story and it can be easily lost is not that she cast in all, but Jesus said she's casting in all and glad to do it. What's my prayer for gospel light as we go into our 30th anniversary? Church, you know what? Let's just cast in all, amen? Let's just cast in all, church. Let's just go ahead and put it all out there. Let's just go ahead and say, Lord, I'm in today and I'm in to stay. Whatever time God gives us, how many ever years God decides to leave us here on this earth, let's just go ahead and say, I'm going to cast in all. And I'm going to do it willingly, and I'm going to do it with humility. And I'm telling you, there is no telling what God will do in our church. How about you today? How's your joy? Every head bowed and every eye closed. We'll finish up today. How's your joy? If you were honest, would you say, I'm struggling? I put on a front, but the fact is, is I'm struggling. Maybe the events of this week have robbed you of some of your joy. Maybe you're going through a personal crisis that you hadn't even told anybody about, and it's robbed you of some of your joy. How about it, church? I don't know about you, but as I see my family expand, I've got three grandchildren now. I'm looking for more, amen. I know this, whatever time I have left on this earth, I want my kids and my grandkids to know that I had joy in my life. And I want them to know they can have the same thing no matter what they're going through. I can't think of a better thing for my kids to understand in life that when you go through a tough time, you can still have joy in Jesus. I want them to know that. My two-week-old granddaughter's here today, and I want her to know as she gets older that no matter what comes her way, she can always have the joy of Jesus in her life. How you doing today? Hey, let's commit to humility, church. Let's commit to doing things willingly. Those are the things that will lift your joy level. I'm going to pray. And if God has spoken to you, if you need to come and put something on the altar, talk to God about giving you more joy, restoring joy in your life. Maybe you need to get your eyes off yourself and back on Christ. Hey, come to this altar and talk to God about it. If you need to pray with me, I'll be up here. There'll probably be at least one other elder or pastor up here. If you need someone to pray with you, please come. Father, bless this invitation. Lord, you do a work as you see fit. Thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. Amen.